Welcome to Amplify Inclusion. I'm Claire from the nonprofit Aspire. Thanks for joining us for stories and conversation about disability inclusion. Today, my guest is Commissioner Rachel Arfa of the Chicago Mayor's Office for People with Disabilities. Commissioner Arfa is the first deaf commissioner of MOPD, making her the highest ranking deaf person to serve in a city government leadership role. She has years of experience as a disability and civil rights attorney and has held numerous civic and leadership positions. I recently spoke with Commissioner Arfa to learn more about her career journey and current work at MOPD. During our conversation, we discussed the ways in which podcasts, by nature, aren't as accessible to people who are deaf or hard of hearing. Since our launch of Amplify Inclusion, We've included transcripts with every episode to ensure access, but we know there's always room for improvement, and I'm pleased to share that beginning today, in addition to a transcript, our episodes will now include closed captions. You can utilize this feature by clicking the CC button next to the episode title in the Podbean player. Today's conversation marks the 20th episode of Amplify Inclusion. We're proud to celebrate this milestone by demonstrating our ongoing commitment to accessibility, and we're thankful to Commissioner Arfa for being a part of it. Here's our conversation. Welcome, Commissioner Arfa. It's a real honor to be speaking with you today. And thank you so much, Claire, and I'm going to put you on to today's conversation. I know that you and your team at MOPD are doing incredible work to advance access in the city of Chicago. I also know that your work didn't start here. You have many years of experience and commitment to advancing access and inclusion. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about maybe some milestones that come to mind for you when you think about your professional path leading up to taking on the role of commissioner. Absolutely. I'm happy to. First, I would say that how I got here is by Father Week, what I love. People that say you should follow your passion. And I think sometimes that comes up as cheesy, but the height of the statement is follow what you absolutely love to do and you know, open up opportunities wherever that looks like. So then open up my career path. Right now I'm doing graduating from college at the University of Michigan, which I absolutely loved. I felt like I was given the space to develop my leadership rules and that helped to set the course for the rest of my life. Here, one of the big things I discovered was a love of public service in government. So when I was in college, I went to Washington, D.C. for a summer and later two internships. One at the White House in the office of the First Lady. In the second internship at the United States Senate, and I just loved the experience after college and went back to Washington, D.C. And I got a job at the United States Senate Judiciary Committee. What they I learned from that experience was the power of advocacy. And I worked for other attorneys at the Senate Judiciary Committee. I was on a team that was led by four female attorneys. And I knew my next step in my career was to become an attorney. So I applied to law school and I went to law school at the University of Wisconsin in Madison and became an attorney and I moved to Milwaukee. I worked at the Legal Aid Society in Milwaukee, and they represented low-income clients who were at risk of becoming homeless. So I was going to um, court three to five times a week to represent people who were at risk of becoming homeless and use it 
uh, there may be concerns towards the the step that I'm happening in, in that room. I noticed that many of the people that was represented had disabilities and that the legal system to really, you know, to acknowledge and exclude those disabilities, put it back those disabilities, shape the very way the people um, experience the current system and the legal issues that were impacting them. So I knew that I wanted to do more. Chicago's my home. I I'm Chicago and I wanted to be closer to my family. So when a job opened up in Chicago, I took it. I worked in a group for equality, which is a disability based staff um, that advocates for disability treatment rights and people with disabilities statewide. And at that job, my work focused on representing people with disabilities in um, healthcare access, civil rights violations, and employment discrimination. So I was able to see firsthand exactly what the barriers were. And I think that if we can make as many of our spaces accessible, then that helps to make sure that anybody can participate in any part of our society. And that's something I'm very committed to. So that's just a little bit of my background. Thank you. That means a lot to hear some of those moments in your life that really impacted you in terms of leading you up to this leadership role you're in now and the impact that you're having on the community. What were your sort of gut instincts did you know it was something that you wanted when the opportunity to take on the role of commissioner was presented to you? I recognize the responsibility that comes with this role. I would say that what they may notice that um, women do, even people with disabilities do, is we don't give ourselves credit for the amount of experience that we have. And after we miss some, select ourselves out of opportunities or jobs, maybe by saying, well, I'm not good enough for this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not experienced enough. And I see that a lot with women. I also see it with people with disabilities. That's the thing I try to share with women. You know, with people with disabilities, do not underestimate yourself. Do not sell yourself short. You have so much experience. So when this opportunity came around, I realized it was the opportunity that I had been preparing for just about my entire career. And I was ready for it. And I feel ready and every single day, even other job, that my work is problem solving. And I'm able to use my legal skills and analysis to look at things from many different ways. So I was ready for this role. And I'm so honored that me and my friend selected me for this role. And I never take that for granted. Yes, and, and you've proven that you and your team have already been creating so many really important initiatives and building partnerships across the city. I know that you came into this role in the midst of the pandemic, right, an already really difficult, tremendously difficult time for communities, but you've managed to still accomplish a lot of things on top of that layer of added barriers. So can you talk about a couple successes or wins that feel really important to you to spotlight from the time you've been in this role? Absolutely. So one thing I wanted to mention is that um, there are mayor's office for people with disabilities in some of our large cities. So when I joined, I met those fellow commissioners across the country. But what they stood out for me, that was that um, 
the meaning to participate in Ishma Pasetan, but they had not yet been a deaf person named a commissioner or other government rule. So I realized that I was now the first deaf commissioner and I am the first deaf person to serve as a member of a mayor's cabinet nationwide in a municipal government. And that's a responsibility that I take seriously because. I feel the duty to pave the way for more people to follow, but also for people to know what is possible, because I never saw those role models growing up. In fact, when I was preparing for this role, I researched the people who sent the politics, and there's so few that um, I had to look to fictional characters. It would be important have Selena Tuckman, who has a disability, and she's been an incredible champion. But then um, I looked to the TV show The West Week, Mighty Madden, who's a deaf actress and who's running Oscar. She played Joey Lucas. And I watched several of the episodes before I started my role because I needed to see what that representation looks like. And that's something that I think about every day this rule. I brought people with disabilities, including people who are deaf and high up here, to know it's possible to become anything you want, including commissioner. So that's what it does something on my mind. So in terms of successes in my department, so I supervise the staff of 25 people. And I created an access office to program, which created a poor person to focus on disability services and access every single department. And that person has to be a member of a commissioner, a department head, or executive director, leadership team. So with somebody with authority, I knew from my experience in the cultural access being that oftentimes the person assigned to do work on access was very low at the turn to poem. So therefore, they didn't have the authority, they were not the power to make the systemic changes that the new acquisition needed. So I focused on those points. And what we did was we created a community of all of these access officers. We have about 37 citywide. You'll be providing them with training on the Americas with Disabilities Act and how to provide different types of accessibility. And I'm really proud of that because, as you mentioned, I started in a pandemic. It, most people think that because a pandemic happened, the work is passed. But I was able to leverage the pandemic. For example, my meetings are at virtual platforms. So I set up many, many meetings and one advantage was that um, if I use the language interpreters, my ability to use the interpreter depends on that interpreter's proximity to me. Are they available at the exact same time and location? But with the pandemic, Say the Gucci Tobitus could work from home. If they didn't have to travel there, and, and I could use a national network of Say the Gucci Tobitus, not just losing geographic proximity. So I'm really proud that um, I was able to use the pandemic to make significant gains both internally at the city, but also externally um, with the disability community and disability access, including around of respect to COVID 19 needs and making sure the vaccine was accessible. We worked with 19 disability organizations to make 900 vaccine appointments available at the United Center. Um, we created a first social story about um, how to cut the vaccine at our vaxforall.com. So, MRPD works with Ebony Teach, and they're doing a really outstanding job. 
that's the stone of many more social stories than I want to plead. So I think that the pre-Adamic Club provided an opportunity to do so much. And I feel that I, I was able to leverage that. So I understand that your work at MOPD is really wide-ranging. I know that you're addressing everything from independent living to accessible housing, assistive technology, the list goes on. But one thing I'm hoping we can discuss in a little more depth today is employment, specifically employment for people with disabilities, because I know this is a top priority. And first off, I'd like to know why this is a priority for you personally. Absolutely. I'm happy to. First, I think with someone who has a job, it is a job they're excited about. This is something that happens to that person. You could tell from the outside. The uh, energy changes, their demeanor changes. So much of that comes from knowing that you're able to be independent. You're able to earn your own paycheck. You um, give it responsibility. And I also know that there are a lot of barriers to employment. I experienced many different barriers throughout my career in my own path to this role. And I want to do whenever I can to make sure that other people with disabilities do not experience barriers, but then anybody can grow up and dream to be whenever they want to be. Also, in my previous role as a disability rights attorney, I have many people with disabilities with employment discrimination cases, and I saw firsthand some of the barriers that people experience. Can you tell me about some of the things that are getting in the way to employment for people with disabilities? One barrier is that while people with disabilities have a civil right to reasonable accommodations under Title One of the Americans with Disabilities Act. There seems to be a bias or assumption about reasonable accommodation. If that assumption is not reasonable accommodation, are expensive. Therefore, the assumption is that people with disabilities are expensive. Most reasonable accommodations cost very little. There are other accommodations that may have a cost, but the reality is that many people are working at poor issues with millions and billions of dollars. Yet the cost of any feasible accommodations would literally be a drop of the bucket. So I think that's something that we really need to address and one accommodation that people with disabilities will often ask about is of the ability to telework due to um, their disability. Yeah, before um, 2020, I even have to tell someone I would try to kind of um, the option to talk about, but I have to worry it almost never happens. It's very difficult to get because if you have a services to talk about. I think in March of 2020, for the world, literally went to talk overnight. We proved that talk is possible. Many people are still talk Many corporations are still remote. So we think that we have changed that attitude a bit. Then the other area that I think we need to be honest about is that there is a bias against people with disabilities. And it comes from that natural urge when something is new. We may feel uncomfortable. We may feel discomfort. I see another time with me. People will not ask me to repeat what I'm seeing. And I would rather someone asks me to repeat when I'm sick because he tells me that they're listening and they think want to make an effort to understand me. But instead, they ignore when I'm sick and I could pick that up very well at their facial expressions right there, this balance. 
when I think that we need to feel comfortable with that discomfort and then people may have a discomfort when I'm interactive with the disability, they're not familiar with and I think that we need to really address that attitude and bias to increase representation of people with disabilities. One of the ways to address that is to hire people with disabilities. You know, I will say that people with disabilities are some of the best problem solvers around. And the reason for that is because we have to navigate access barriers every single day. So we have to advance in the creativity about those solutions and it's our emotional labor on our part. But if somebody could do that every day, that skill is very important on a team when you're trying to solve a barrier or a problem. It's such an asset to have somebody who's actively problem solving, could troubleshooting getting these in any time. And speaking of problem solving, let's talk about opportunities to address this key issue of low employment for people with disabilities. So I think that there are um, a lot of opportunities to create drastic change around inclusive employment opportunities. First, I think it's really important to um, make sure that our HR personnel are trained at the Americans with Disabilities Act and making sure that our job application processes are um, as accessible as possible, including the ADA does apply to FDC stage um, employment, including the recruiting and hiring process, interviewing process, and learning at the job. Second, I think it's really important to um, ensure um, that we have different pathways available um, for different career fields and ensure that those are accessible to people with disabilities. So we want to make sure that any person with a disability can access any pathway they want to be, whatever their dream is. We also have to think about um, intersectionality and make sure that disability is part of that intersectionality and really um, doing the hard work and coming out of our comfort Racial equity is one of the most important priorities. Then by me and I front, and I apply a racial equity lens to out of the work that we do to make sure we serve every single community, including black and brown communities. And then if you could sort of add on how and why employment, inclusive employment, has become a priority for MOPD. First, I wanted to make sure I spend some time talking about what the mayor's office, the people with disabilities does around employment. We now um, we have two um, staff members who focus on providing benefits counseling for people who are beneficiaries of SSI and SSDI. Because if you are a recipient of social security, you were only allowed to earn a certain amount of money before you go over that amount. It is something um, not easy to understand so we do have benefits culture to help people who are working and want to um, maintain benefits. One thing I learned from those two staff members is that after time people will call MMPD and ask for help with getting a job. They were navigating the job search yet MMPD has not historically provided that assistance. When I saw that people in Chicago were still coming to MRPD is seeking employment services. And so that for me, that was an opportunity. We also have been watching the pandemic and the impact on our city. And one observation is that um, there is an abundance of jobs right now. 
I know that uh, people with disabilities historically have had a hard time getting jobs, especially in the tight labor market because of attitudes and bias, barriers in the perception of visible accommodations are expressed. So um, if do I ask me, after not hire somebody with a disability, however, the pandemic class shaken up our job market and there is now so many job opportunities available if there is a shortage in some areas at back. So I work with me on that money to um, leverage this moment. It do will be clear to create a new pathway to help fill um, the needs, but also to create opportunities where people with disabilities we have people who are highly skilled and highly qualified. I want to make sure that those pathways are open to them. So that would be one of my biggest priorities throughout this year. So stay tuned at that. Those are such important points. And I think that a lot of people that don't have a disability or can't relate to the experience of disability would think that this issue of unemployment really doesn't affect them. What would you say to the larger community in terms of the true benefits for all of us in terms of inclusive employment? Thank you for that question. First, a lot of people think that their lives are not impacted by disability, but in fact, 25 Americans has a disability, and disability is the only group that anyone could become a member of at any time. And people also have an assumption that disabilities are visible but there are so many invisible disabilities that um, they may not know about or that may not be disclosed, but chances are very high that somebody did know them has some type of disability. So um, the person might make a statement that disability does not impact them, but in fact it does. But also, like I said, people, people with disabilities are some of the best problem solvers around. And I think that that's what any people benefit from. People with disabilities have different life experience and perspective. And Tyler's and all of that will help to create a better and stronger team. Thank you, Commissioner Arfa, for being with me today. And I want to thank you for the focus that I know that you have on partnerships because I think that it's been very evident in your leadership style and working with agencies, businesses across the community, because I know that you believe in teamwork and that if we're going to make change, we all have to be collaborating. So I just want to thank you for your partnership with Aspire and all local agencies that you've been really dedicated to. Thank you so much, Claire. Um, I really appreciate all of your time and all of the work that you and the entire team and Aspire does in helping people with disabilities gain access to employment, even if you are the talk. So I want to thank you and Aspire, and I'm glad that we work together in your absolutely right. I believe in collaboration. I think that um, exchanging ideas and working together is the best way to accomplish things. Thank you to my guest, Commissioner Arfa. Join us next time for conversations with several guests as we discuss the power of mentorship as a gateway to employment. Until then, stay connected with us at AspireChicago.com and be a part of the inclusive movement by rating and subscribing to Amplify Inclusion. This episode was co-produced and engineered by Subframe Sound. This season is made possible thanks to generous support from the Fred J. Bruner Foundation 
and members of the Aspire community.